Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. with Rabbi Sarah Hurwitz, who is the co-founder and president of Maharat, the first institution to ordain Orthodox women as clergy, and also serves on the rabbinic staff at the Hebrew Institute of Riverdale. Rabbi Hurwitz completed Drisha's three-year scholars pro- circle program, an advanced intensive program of study for Jewish women, training to become scholars, educators, and community leaders. And after another five years of study under the auspices of Rabbi Avi Weiss, she was ordained by Rabbi Weiss and Rabbi Daniel Schferber, in 2009 as the first modern Orthodox woman rabbi in America. She's a recipient of countless awards for spiritual leadership, someone I look up to and, and learn from. So thank you for taking this time, Rabbi Sarah. Thank you. Thanks, Roshmuli. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you. So as you know, um, we live in polarized times, uh, religiously, politically. And I wonder, how have some of the recent political changes that we've seen in the last few years impacted the dynamics of your kihila, of your congregation, and, and of the yeshiva? Um, so I have some perspective. I've uh, been uh, doing this for a while. And I guess what that means is I've been watching and seeing all kinds of disagreements for many years. Um, I agree that there is something that feels a little bit more polarized now, but as a young rabbi who started at the Hebrew Institute of Riverdale, the Bayit, uh, you know, 18 years ago, we always had to be careful about how we spoke from the pulpit and make sure that we were using and navigating the multiple perspectives of our congregants. Um, and I would say the same is true of our students at Maharat. We're big tent and we want to attract students who are left, right, have all different kinds of of political events and so we we really do try to to navigate and make it comfortable for for everybody to have opinions i i do want to just add um that the recent anti-semitism does feel different and i do think that there we have a a, a really a moral obligation to stand up and show up i'm a talmida a student through of through of rabbi weiss as you noted in my bio, and he has modeled um, just showing up when there are our, you know, other Jews or or people in pain. And so uh, I took students, I took a group of students with me to Pittsburgh the day after the shooting uh, just over a year ago. And that was very difficult, but meaningful to be uh, there with future rabbis. Um, I took students to Jersey City during the school day. We canceled class um, to go to Jersey City just uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I went with my family to Muncie. I, I, I think that we have to show up and we have to show that there's, we're not gonna give in to fear. 
Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So what are some, um, and you've already started to touch on this, but some practical strategies that we can use to deal with people who we disagree on fundamental issues. Really things that hit our kishkas. I mean, they're not just, you know, abstract ideas, but things that are fundamental to our being, to our, our values. When we dive in next to them or live next to them, how do you think about how we navigate these differences? Obviously, I think about this a lot because I think that just by the nature of who I am, there are many who disagree with me. Um, and I know that it's never personal. And I know that mostly it's not. It's, it's a disagreement of ideas. Um, but in thinking about that, I, I wonder, is there ever a time where maybe being right is wrong? And I, that's what I want to speak a little bit about. Uh, to answer your question. So I, I came across a, a, um, a wrongologist. Her name is Catherine Schultz. She's a writer for The New Yorker and she has some TED Talks. Um, and she describes how much time we spend trying to convince other people that, who don't agree with us that we are right and they're wrong, that we are right and therefore better, and they are evil and wrong. <laughs> we tend to devolve into shaming the person and not the idea. Um, and, and I think we do that because we're blinded by our rightness. And so when I came across the famous poem, because of course all poems are famous by Yehuda Amichai, I, I was moved. Um, perhaps you, you, you've heard it, it's Hamakam Shebo Anutakim, from the place we are right. And he describes so beautiful, Minamakam Shebo Anutakim, from the place we are right, is hard and trampled like a yard and doubts and loves dig up the world. He talks about how, how flowers will never grow in the spring, how the, the building that is ruined will remain unbuilt because we're so sure that we're right. Um, and so I, I try to think about like, is there a time to step back from being right? Now, I, first of all, there are times, and again, I'm thinking now of my own story and my passion towards knowing and believing that orthodox women can and should be uh, clergy there are times where you're gonna like fall on your sword so to speak and uh, you're gonna take your passion and and uh, really go to bat for what i call tzedek for justice for morality for doing what's right but i think like again using tzedek as a model there's times where tzedek can be seen as unbending as as too precise and and i think it often has to be mitigated with something else, be it compassion, or in the Torah, often the words tzedek and mishpat come together, right? You need like two um, ideas that, that you, to, to mitigate like that rightness. Um, you, the Zohar has this great idea that, that in uh, Tehillim, there's a pasuk that says, Ki ad eshuv mishpat, that, that happy is the person who only when tzedek justice and mishpat, righteousness shall come together, then the upright shall, shall and we'll, we should be, we'll be happy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with the idea being that, that we have to try to figure out how to bring those two um, mitigating ideas together. And then when we have compassion and perspective and open-mindedness, then I think we're able to see and hear another person's perspective. As Catherine says, sort of stepping back from our rightness and uh, realizing that maybe there, there are times where we, being right may be wrong and will help us listen to other people's thoughts, ideas, and perspectives. Yeah, beautiful, love that. So um, in, 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 in congregational community building, um, today it seems like there's oftentimes two different ideologies. One is big tent, 
to the extent that we almost take no stands on anything, lest it alienate anyone within the tent, or the other that we should bring authenticity. Um, and you, you just started touching on that, on that tension. In the cases of the latter, where we decide there needs to be an institutional change that happens in our communities, how do we implement that while respecting the plethora of views of congregants or students or community members? How do we take courageous leadership at the same time as holding the big tent? So I think that it's possible. <laughs> um, I think that, um, I think the key is to hold the individual and the collective. Um, I read a, a great article on Spitel Becker, who is faculty at Hartman, where I had the privilege of studying for a few years. And he wrote something called the Forever Falling Apart People, where he suggests that it's possible to be loyal and true to your own tribe, to your own individuality, to your own way of doing things, um, but also to balance that with the commitment towards a Jewish collective to a, a Jewish whole. Um, and I was thinking about this because just in a few weeks, we'll, when we read about in, in Shmat, in the story of the Jewish people, when they leave um, Mitzrayim, when they leave Egypt, they're traveling. And there's this famous Rashi, <laughs> right, which uh, is commenting on uh, the idea that they, they, um, they assume, they, they, they left, they journeyed from, from, a Pidim, from a Pidim, and they came to, to Sinai, and then it suddenly changes from plural, that they were all traveling together, to the singular. And Rashi says, you know, what's with the, the change? And he quotes the, the, the beautiful um, idea, that they were like one person, one heart. And what's interesting is that the Jewish people actually were not known <laughs> to be people who agreed. Actually, up until that point, there's many disagreements and, and tribes and one tribe fighting with a, another tribe and, and Esau and, and, and Yaakov. I mean, that's the way. Machloket has, has always been the way. Um, but I think that, that the idea that we can strive for an ultimate collective of being part of something larger while still maintaining individuality is really important. And I just wanna go one step further to say that I think about this model in my leadership because uh, I think it's really important to see the individual and to understand like the person who's in front of me and trying to, and, and offering, you know, whatever their story is or their feedback is um, and to really figure out how to balance that person with with the collective, with the collective need. And I think being like morally connected to only the collective or morally connected only to the individual is where we go wrong. But really trying to, to put those two things in tension and try to figure out how to balance both, which is not simple and easy. And we're gonna make mistakes because sometimes we might prioritize one over the other, but like knowing and understanding that, that both are, are um, pillars and, and ideas that we have to bring together when you know, putting forth our courageous leadership ideas. Yeah, love that, love that. So uh, I feel like we're grappling here with valid viewpoints. What happens when, you know, when, like when being right is being wrong based on, on Machloket L'Shem Shemayim, but what happens when we're dealing with something that's just sort of an evil, an evil idea? When we're encountering someone who is just uh, embedded within sexism or racism or homophobia. They're not expressing a valid Torah view. Um, how, do we, how, do we how, how do we respond in a way that shows dignity to that person, but also does the religious work of trying to uproot that evil? 
I was, uh, you and I were both asked this question, which <laughs> really, um, they ended up not publishing us with, uh, in, do you remember this in response to Jeffrey Epstein? Um, there was a few of us who were asked to respond and react to how, as a rabbi, do you deal with talking about somebody who, you know, is Jewish, is, can you accept tuba? Um, anyway, I was watching you gather your thoughts about that as I was, you know, mine as well. Um, look, it's, it, it's not simple. Um, and I think that the, the um, sorry about the noise. Um, I think that the, look, it's, it's exactly what we were talking about before, um, that you don't have to, that, sorry, just some background noise. Um, I think it's what we we're talking about before that people make mistakes and our tradition gives space and place for tshuva. Um, but that doesn't mean that we uh, like unmitigatingly say that everybody is, is good and has the ability to do tshuva. I think that the system is there for us to provide a path forward um, for people to make amends and to, and to pull themselves out. And as religious leaders, I think we have to model and give them a place and a space to be able to do that. But I do think that there are limitations put, put in place. And I don't think that it's our job or responsibility to uh, welcome everybody regardless of, of you know, what kind of person they are or what crimes they, they may have committed. I do think that there, there are limits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Okay, so uh, just one other thing that's coming to mind building off this is, um, to what extent do we, and, and, and I don't know if Maharat uses the language of Orthodox feminism or not, but assuming it does, um, to what extent do you view the uh, sort of a feminist agenda, which I also hold within Orthodoxy, as intersectional with other uh, similar agendas, you know, whether it's the LGBTQ community or Jews of color or Jews with disabilities? To what extent do you see this as kind of an isolated phenomenon that has to be developed and addressed or as or immersed within a broader that broader context? So I know that that's the question that so many of us want to ask. And oh, sexuality yeah. is very important to think about in, you know, 2020. Um, but I, I just want to say, I think it's not the right question. In other words, I think that that um, Maharat and I think what we've done is a model, right? It's a model for, for trying to um, open up the, I call it the walls of the Beit Midrash or, or open the community um, for greater inclusion and acceptance. Um, and I think that the reason why it's a model is because we should be thinking along those lines for all sections of our community. We should be thinking about, you know, all people who, who feel like outsiders and finding a way to, to, bring, to bring people in and more centrally located. I think, again, we have a halakhic system and it should be done within that, that context. Um, but I think that, look, I, I, we have a mission. And so our, our mission is, is um, narrow in that we're not trying to change the entire world, just like our slice of the world. Um, and that means staying really focused on training, ordaining, placing uh, Orthodox women out in the world. I think the education that we're giving them, though, is to be very thoughtful and mindful about what inclusion means and how to, how to think about people who feel marginalized and alienated. Um, and how to, to, to create a community in a world that 
you know, isn't narrow, um, but really is, is very expansive in, in incorporating, uh, you know, the fabric of what the Jewish community should look like, which is of multiple opinions, individuals, people who look all different ways and act different ways. I think there's a space and a place and we have to work harder to find, to find a place for, for all of us. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. So, okay, my last question for you is, you know, so many, so many people are, are in all of you and follow you and, and your, your amazing work. And what's a piece of Torah that you hold in your heart each day? What is some Torah that motivates the work you do, motivates some of this complex work of holding values while holding community? Um, you know, what's something that's kind of on your lips or on your heart each day? So I love the uh, little section in Masechet uh, Sota, um, which asks the question, is it possible to walk with God? Is it possible? And we're told on one hand, you should walk with God. And then on the other hand, we're told that God is a fiery devouring presence. So how do you get close to God? Um, and it's first of all, the question just in of itself is a, is a good question and, and worth thinking about. Um, and, you know, how do you, how do you, if something is so distant and so dangerous and so fiery, um, do you have the courage to tackle it? Do you have the courage to walk with God or, or go after something you so passionately desire in the first place? And the Gemara answers, it doesn't mean what the Pasuk, what the what Torah is trying to say, like, how do you walk with God? You have to walk with God's attributes. And what that means is you, you uh, visit the sick just like God visited the sick, and you close the naked just like God closed the naked, and um, you bury the dead just like God buried the dead, and gives examples of, of the times in Tanakh that, that God did that. And the reason why I, I love this is First of all, I think, um, you know, acting with humility <laughs> that there's a higher presence and I think just emulating God and having a sense that you're walking with God is just a good way to, to walk through the world, at least for me. Um, but I think what this is really saying is, is, is that actions matter um, and not, we shouldn't only be talking the talk, but we should be uh, modeling um, the way we want to be in the world, just like God modeled the way we should be in the world for us. Um, and it's, it's, of course, the ethics, <laughs> ethical system that this little section in SOTA um, outlines is, is, is beautiful, right? Like visiting the sick, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's representative of, of um, striving to be uh, the kind of person that, that is emulating God. Um, and that you want other people to to walk with you in the world, um, walk with you through the world in in helping people and in, in seeing people for who they are, um, and so that that's a piece of Torah that I take yeah, with I me. Love that. I love that walking with God both spiritually and ethically, meaning the presence which gives us humility and may give us courage, but also in the realm of action because the first thing we learn about God in the Torah is Breshit Baralahimah. That Hashem does something, Hashem creates. So there's the normative dimension of the halakha badrachav. Um, and I think that's, I can't think of a more powerful Torah for how we should think about our leadership. And, and you're the one who models that for your kihila and for your students. So thank you. Thank you for all you do. Uh, be sure to check out the EKR, check out Yeshivat Maharat, and check out the great writings and teachings of Rabbi Sarah Hurwitz. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for your time.